Welcome to Wild Quincy, a podcast that looks into the little-known and forgotten past of Quincy, Illinois. Everyone can tell you where they were on September 11th. It's a national event in our history that will forever be ingrained into our memories. But ask the question around Quincy, where were you when the West Quincy levee broke? And they're just as likely to give you an answer. As the 30th anniversary of the worst flood in U.S. history approaches, we look back on the flood of 93. That coming up next. Now, here's your host, Chris Ketters and Travis Hoffman. Well, everybody, welcome to the 51st episode of Wild Quincy. Chris and Travis here with you. Travis, how's it feel? Uh, we're through 50. Uh, Want to do another 50? I, you know, we've already started. I feel like we shouldn't stop now. <laughs> We already got it. We already hit record. Yeah, right? I why, why stop? We've committed. <laughs> well, you guys have committed too, and uh, uh, that includes our new Patreon members. And I, I think we got to do one, right? We sure do, Chris. We'd like to welcome Alex Goff to the land of the wild things. He joined us at the five dollar medium Jeff special level. We appreciate your membership, Alex. Thanks so much. Speaking of people that we want to thank, too, uh, we, we obviously love our Patreon members. Uh, those guys get to check out all those additional episodes, and, and you can do the same as well. You'll hear about that in a minute. But, uh, you know, we we have a few that are at the special, the hostess will seat you level. And one of those uh, we'd like to give another shout out to and, and give some love to is a, a, another one that uh, is a business here in town. Right, Travis? That's right. We do want to give it. They gave us a little shout out on Facebook recently, and they continue to be a supporter at the $20 hostess will seat you now monthly level uh that would be lion's pride the the quincy area's premier dj karaoke photo booth and officiating service you can check them out at quincydj.com we're really appreciative of their support at the 20 dollars level if you are a business in quincy and would like to give a little love to wild quincy well we will share that love back to you and promoting your business let us know and uh that's going to do it for all the thank yous right now, Chris. Yeah, you check that out on Patreon. Uh, you, there is a level for businesses there if you want to check that out. Uh, well, I am not done with the thank yous because I want to throw out a thank you. You did a, a press release and sent out some information to right. some local media uh, following our 50th episode with uh, Chad Douglas. And uh, we've had, of course, a couple. Uh, we heard, we saw one uh, while, uh, sorry, the, the uh, Muddy River uh, did an article. But then uh, we heard rumors that there was one on KHQA. But we never, yeah, neither one of us ever saw anything. Let us know anything, if you so. saw anything on KHQA. We, uh, well, it sounds like we may have been made a little appearance somewhere. We we didn't catch it, but we appreciate it if that's the case. Of course, thanks everybody for of course listening to the fifty episode, and thanks uh, to Chad for again joining us with us. It was a fun time, and then we 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 decided afterwards we just kept talking, and we decided, hey, let's just record this while we're talking, and so we just did a Patreon episode, and so you can uh, listen to more about Chad and his uh, his adventures into um, what do I want to say. Uh, artist sandwich, sandwich artistry in subway yeah, yeah from that yeah. to uh to the newsroom yeah exactly so here the history of that and you might have saw a, a post if you haven't seen our facebook page check that out as well we may have uh, put something on a youtube page a, a video of uh, a very young chad douglas for you to check out so we had a lot of fun sure. Got, went to some weird places i'm a little scared on what, what clip you're gonna play but uh <laughs> we'll we'll find out what that is yeah. how much cringing i should be doing yeah yeah just a little bit but uh We'll have that coming your way in just a few minutes. Uh, I think the only thing else we got to do before we get into this big episode, because it's a big anniversary episode for a different reason and not for the podcast, but I think we need to do the question of the day. Is that right? That's right. Let's get into it, Chris. 
So here is the question of the day. Uh, there is, or actually more technically, there was a drive-in movie theater that was in the West Quincy area. Do you know what it was called? Ooh. So I'm going to give you some options here uh, of what the name of the qu the theater in West Quincy was was called. Was it called the Clark Drive-In, the Gym City Drive-In, the Quincy Drive-In, or the Sky High Drive-In? So, uh, yeah, you're, you're cringing. Another cringe moment here, evidently. Yeah, man, I'm not feeling great about this one, I'll be honest. Well, let me give it to you one more time. It's, uh, you know, there was a drive-in movie theater in West Quincy. What was it called? Was it the Clark Drive-In, the Gym City Drive-In, Quincy Drive-In, or the Sky High Drive-In? We'll have the answer for that coming up for at you at the end of this episode. But as I mentioned, it's been 30 years since one of the biggest catastrophes to ever hit the tri-state and the Midwest area. And we're going to talk about the Great Flood of 93 after this on Wild Quincy. <laughs> Here's what you missed on the latest After Hours episode of Wild Quincy. Did the transition work well that when you actually did start doing the TV, it was still like all like the glamour and like the shots? Was it still there? Did you still get the feel from what you got when you were working at Subway or when you did that? <laughs> what? <laughs> Does that not make sense? Come out of your mouth. When you, um. when, you, when, you, when you put the top piece of bread on that cold cut trio, do you feel a little tingly? Be honest with me. Our After Hours episodes are available exclusively for Patreon members by going to patreon.com slash wildquincy. For just a couple dollars a month, not only will you double the amount of Wild Quincy episodes at your fingertips, but you'll also be supporting our efforts as we continue to dive into the wild and crazy history of our favorite town. Also, as a Patreon member, you can take part in our live events and Patreon-only outings, as well as having access to our regular episodes two days before they are released to the public. It's easy. Just head to patreon.com slash wildquincy. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash wildquincy and become a wild thing today. Time to dig in to, as I mentioned, one of the biggest catastrophes to ever hit the tri-state area. And Travis, uh, you know, for us, it was 30 years ago. I mean, it's for 30 years ago for everybody. But for us, we were a little bit younger. I mean, I, I don't know exactly what the date would be. I guess we would be, what, around 10, 11, 12 at that time. Is that right? You got to warn me before you start doing math, Chris. You know, <laughs> I can't I can't just do that. I'm going to say, yeah, that sounds yeah. right. 10, 11, 12. Yeah. We'll give it a range. So the reason why I bring that up is because for us, even though you know we're in our 40s now, for us, it, um, it, it we really I don't think we experienced what a lot of the older people experienced. We knew that it was a catastrophe, and it, we knew there was crazy things happening. But to actually grasp it, and in the way I'm going at with this, because the stuff I've researched and I've looked at recently. Like, it kind of hits me now. Like, oh, my gosh, think about what it was like to be in that moment uh, 30 years ago and experience this stuff and being a part of this stuff. For us, we were just kids and thought it was a crazy thing going on. But I'm guessing this was, you know, for uh, older people listening to this, that it was that was quite the experience. Yeah, we didn't have a, any context of a previous flood of any magnitude. And, you know, when you're 10, 11, just you don't really understand the the 
the repercussions actions like this have as far as a catastrophe goes. And, you know, we were both fortunate to be high and dry on the Illinois side through the, you know, those unfortunate souls that were right along, you know, the river level there around the area. They had a whole nother experience. And looking back on all the video, it's, uh, you know, WGM did a great Floodwatch 93 recap. We both re- kind of refreshed our own memories on. And it really hit different. You know, it hits yep. differently now that you you know we've grown up and looking back at it, it's interesting to see all the old faces and, but just to put yourself in those shoes, having the live context you have now, it it uh, boy, I can't imagine going through that. Yeah, we'll uh, actually be uh, hearing from a few of those old faces coming up through this episode, so stay tuned for that. But yeah, I, I'm in the same boat with you, and and with my thoughts and and watching the video and then also uh, doing the research of like the actual timeline it was pretty much there was a few days we're gonna go through this in a minute but there was a few days in july where of 93 where it was like every day it was like all right what levy is going to break today it was like every day there was something crazy that was going on just a gut punch after a gut punch it was almost like god who's writing this story it was just you know painful painful to look back at that timeline well, before we get into all this, though, we have to put it into a perspective and try to understand is, you know, you would think that in these situations, in most cases, you have like flash flooding or regular flooding. It's just because, hey, you know what? It rained a bunch and and now we have flooding. But 93 is a unique situation and uh, it's much above my pay scale of, of weather. I love meteorology, uh, but this is above my level, Travis. So I said, what are we going to do? Let's bring in an expert. So I brought in a guy, a gentleman who is a local. He uh, grew up in Palmyra, was familiar with the Quincy area, uh, and he ended up being the state's uh, Illinois state climatologist for 22 years. Uh, his name is Jim Angel. Uh, if you uh, recognize that last name and, and you're a fan of the Lost Boys of Hannibal series, uh, that's because Jim is a husband to our favorite geologist, Julie Angel. And uh, so I sat down for a few minutes to talk with Jim and tried to get a feel for exactly what was going on at the flood of 93 and why these things happened. You go back before July of 93 and you go back into the winter of 92 into 93 and even before that, give us the details of like how this all got started because it wasn't just because it was a bunch of rain that happened all of a sudden, right? That's right. Yeah, if you go all the way back to the fall of 92, we actually had a fairly wet fall and, uh, so that so the soils going into fall and into winter were pretty much fully recharged, and you know we always focused on the rainfall, but really soil moisture is the other key factor in all of this. In that, uh, by the time we got to the spring, the soils were already pretty much saturated. It meant that they could hold about all the water they could hold, and so if you get an inch of rain over dry soils, you know a lot of times that'll all soak in and maybe get a little runoff, a few puddles. But if the soils are saturated, all of that one inch of rain runs off. So it goes into the rivers and ditches and streams and lakes and so forth. And so that's when it becomes really problematic. And that really kind of amplifies the effects of these heavy rain events. Uh, so we came into the spring and with very wet soils, pretty much already saturated. The rivers were already you know, fairly full at that point. And so we're, we're set up for that. Now, in a, a normal year, if there is such a thing, uh, usually what happens is you get some rains, but you also get the, the sun comes out and it get a lot of drying, and, and then the crops start to grow and the plants start to grow. And so you draw down on that soil moisture. 
Uh, but that didn't happen in that year. Uh, what happened instead is we had a fairly persistent pattern of the, pr pretty much just the jet stream sitting on top of us uh, for about a three or four month period. I had warm moist air coming up from the Gulf of Mexico and that collided right over the Midwest. So we just had storm after storm track over this region during that time. And each one of them produced a couple inches of rain over wide areas. And so, you know, if it, in a normal year, there again, you get maybe one or two or three of those and then it goes away. Uh, but in this case, it just persisted all the way through, really through the, the July and August. Uh, and then the other interesting thing is that by the time we got the whole Midwest was basically turning into the, the next Great Lake, uh, you had so much water sitting out there that anytime the sun did come out, it evaporated that moisture back into the atmosphere and then the next storm would tap into it. So it's kind of this feedback thing going on as well. So it, the whole thing, I'd say probably the outstanding features was just that it was so persistent. You know, we've had wet periods before and after, but that one just was unending and how long it lasted. You know, most people think of the Mississippi River, they think, oh, you know, it's just, you know, a couple, you know, maybe 10 or so states. I don't even know how many states are connected to it. But, you know, it, you know, there's not a big bunch of water coming into this. But when you really take a look at a map and you look at how big the basin is and where all the water is coming from, uh, it is a huge area. And, and when you had, from what I was seeing, I came across the stat that, um, you know, Iowa saw like a record amount of rainfall. Like, I think they say like almost 45 inches of rainfall, which was a 121 year record for them uh, and so so when you think about that when the whole state gets that much rain it's got to go somewhere right that's right yeah it's a tremendous amount of water even in a, a normal year uh, that, you know that's there's a, a lot of water that goes down the Mississippi and the Missouri and the Ohio as well but uh, those cyst that whole system it drains a huge portion of the United States in fact it's the largest river basin in the United States so uh, and it's in an area that's pretty wet. Uh, so <laughs> unlike the Colorado, which kind of hit and miss, I mean, we're pretty persistently wet, especially in the upper part. And and so, yeah, that's a lot of water. And and, and this that year, it was even more so because of the, the widespread rains. And it wasn't just the, uh, the upper Mississippi, which is what we experienced in Quincy and elsewhere, but also the Missouri also had a that basin was also wet that year too. So it was, that was the, uh, pretty extraordinary how widespread those rains were. I was so happy to have Jim come on because I am one of those guys, Travis, that I love talking about this stuff, but this is something that's way above what I can talk about. Uh, boy. Yeah. It's, it's, you don't think about how the, all those conditions can come together like that. And really is the perfect storm that just created the, the, the groundwork for what would be just notorious flooding. And we went through some of the details, but uh, let me give you a couple other big things. Obviously, a lot of things that were happening in the winter caused what was happening in the spring and in the summer, but uh, it was just such a weird year with the jet stream and things like that. I want to give you some perspective real quick about how bad this rain was. Uh, you know, if you're uh, listening to this uh, in May of 2023, we haven't had a lot of rain in this area. We've only had maybe like two or three inches so far for the month, and we're pretty much three-fourths three of the way through the month. Well, to give you a comparison, in one day in Quincy, and it wasn't even one day, it was a matter of about six hours, they had six inches of rainfall in a little amount of six hours. So 
to have that much happen in that big of a time because it was as much as the whole month would be for that month in just one day. So that was just a comparison and give you some other stats real quick here, Travis. Between June and August, rainfall totals exceeded 18 inches with peaks of 24 to 38 inches in states like Iowa, Minnesota, and Nebraska. And like you heard Jim say, one of the things you got to worry about, it's not just about what rains here, it's about where the rain and what rains happen up north. And so when you have all that rainfall happen in those states where's the water got to go right it's got to go somewhere and that's coming right down our backyard that's right uh, amounts of rain actually exceeded typical rainfall get this more than 200 to 350 percent oh my that's that's huge to hear it put that way yeah that's crazy uh most regions received rainfall on more than 20 days in the month of july nearly Man. two to three times the climatology of eight to nine days Mm. So, yeah, some crazy numbers. And as you heard me talk to Jim about, uh, even in uh, from January through September of uh, 93, Iowa had 44.5 inches of rain in that time, which is an astonishing amount, astonishing amount. And that is also still holds as the record and actually broke a record that was 121 years old for Iowa. So I don't, I don't think you can put enough of a point on the fact that it's such a different world today than it was then as far as media goes yeah. and the internet and just the ability to communicate, uh, you know, talk about a disadvantage. If Today we would have at least been able to communicate what those caution flags probably would have been. But back then you were really regulated to what we consider now to be kind of archaic forms of, uh, you know, communication. Right. So, yeah. I uh, when I was talking to Jim about that, uh, we were talking about how how much things have changed, and, and just for you know now in today's world, if I want to see what the river stage is, I just pop in National Weather Service. But back then, it wasn't that simple. And, and even taking a look when we watched uh, watched that video for the flood of '93 with WGM, it was so funny looking at the graphics of the weather forecast because you couldn't even really tell what was happening because the yeah. graphics were so poor. You couldn't tell if there was a, you know a heavy rain or it was a sprinkle. Of according to what the radar looked like from back the 30 years ago. So yeah, just the technology has definitely increased. But, you know, we talk about that, you know, this June, July, August was when it all happened. But really, it, it like I said, it was back into the wintertime when stuff got started. It was already fully saturated. And uh, we actually started to see that in April. In April of 93, the waters began to rise on the Mississippi River. And there was some flooding. The The, the levee actually, or sorry, excuse me, the, the flood stage in Quincy actually rose to 23.9 feet, which is pretty high. Uh, there was a, a levee problem that became apparent. And this was kind of the first of many, as, as you're going to hear about but back in april of 93 so a few months before everything gets started the lima lake drainage district near meyer uh, they had some issues that arose with their their levee but luckily it held and then the the water ended up receding but um told you about those those numbers and in, in, in rainfall totals uh, right what it, uh this was the wettest april in more than a decade for the quincy area with 4.4 inches of rain falling in that month mm. Mm. yeah so we move on to this timeline, kind of give you a feel for what's happening. We go to May and June of 1993. The river begins to recede after that flooding in April, and uh, it was actually under flood stage for 12 whopping days. <laughs> <laughs> okay, little little so, calm before the storm. Right. Yeah. Uh, but then on June 9th, the river was back at flood stage again. Uh, an odd number. This is a weird thing I came across. 
is that an odd number of barges and towboats were colliding along the Mississippi River, everywhere from uh, up in Minnesota all the way down to New Orleans. There was a bunch of these like collisions and between towboats. Well, come to find out, it was attributed to the water. It was flowing at twice the normal rate. So the current, the current yeah. was stronger, is right? That right. Yeah. Okay. So, so what was happening was kind of a byproduct of kind of seeing what was going to happen. That the water was getting already flowing quicker even though you didn't see really big flood stages yet um so that was kind of an indication to some of the to some of the meteorologists and hydrologists that uh that something was kind of up with the mississippi river so we moved to uh, june 27th the corps of engineers which you're going to hear more about uh, they forecasted that this was going to be the third worst flood in the river's history and they were expecting a crest of around 24.9 feet in july Okay, so this was the core saying, now this is going to be bad. It probably won't be the worst, but it's going to be bad. This was happening back in June of, of 93. Uh, then on June 30th, the first levee actually broke. Uh, so this is uh, getting close to the beginning of July, but we had our first levee that broke on June 30th. It was uh, the Mississippi Fox River Drainage District. This is located in extreme northeast Missouri. It actually flooded just a small area, only 800 acres, but it was still the first levee break and a sign of things to come for sure. Yeah. Boy, was it ever. But then we get to the night of June 30th, and this is where I think everything kind of hits the fan. And that was because there was a storm that blew through and there were some power lines that were, that were taken down. There were some damages to homes, but, but the big story that came away from that storm was the rain. And I already kind of mentioned this by the next morning, the storm started late that night. By the next morning, rain gauges showed 6.066 inches of rain that had fallen in the Quincy area. Boy, just nowhere to go. Yeah. That was two more inches than what they get for the whole month of June in one, like in a night. So Mm. you had this, all this rain coming down in just one night. Uh, This, by the way, of course would set a record, set the record for most rainfall in a 24 hour period for Quincy. The former record that was uh, 1950 record was 5.84 inches. So a a little bit more than a quarter of an inch of rain beat that old record that was standing for more than what 43 years. So a lot of rain, a lot of rain. Uh, we move on to a few other things. Uh, this event's uh, Midwest forecasters had to, of course, revise their forecast because all of a sudden you had this huge rain event happen in the Midwest and in the, the predictions of the crest uh, had to be changed. So uh, they had a prediction of 30 feet. Now, uh, by July 3rd, originally it was thought to be July 6th, but they moved up that 30 foot crest to July 3rd. Uh, by this time, too, the river was flowing at five times its normal speed. Good Lord. Right. So we move on to July, and this is where uh, the whole month is just insane. It starts, I mean, it kicks off here. Um, it was obvious that this is going to be a huge problem. Uh, July 1st, WGM Radio and News partnered to provide nonstop coverage in the area. Um, parts of West Quincy were actually evacuated as a precaution. Um, parts of LaGrange were actually flooding a little bit. And, uh, you know, it's completely apparent that everyone's worst fears as far as flooding had to be on the table. People really had to think about 
what's the worst case scenario? And they had to prepare for that, Chris, because as you're going to tell us, things didn't get any better, did they? (laughs) Yeah, well, and you mentioned how things were changing for the people, and a lot of that had to do with how they got to work. You know, I I crossed the river every single day to get to work, and now all of a sudden those, those easy things that you don't think about all of a sudden now are disappearing. And, and by that, I mean in the bridges. The first one to fall was actually where uh, where I'm at right now, Louisiana, Missouri. Uh, by sunset on July 1st, the bridge was closed uh, on be Highway 54, uh, US 54. And so that was the first bridge to close in the area. It's a pre- Back then, of course, it's a new bridge now. Back then, the bridge was pretty low into the floodplain. So it only takes like 21, 22 feet to flood that the old bridge. Luckily, they changed it around. Now it's above the levee, so it's going to be hard to flood it, But uh, unless something bad happens. But um, back then, didn't have that option, so that was the first one. Speaking of bridges on July 1st, the one that was of uh, kind of importance was the Memorial Bridge. Because as you guys know, if you live in Quincy, have crossed the bridge, uh, when you cross the Memorial, or the Memorial Bridge, you're pretty dang close to the water. <laughs> On the West Quincy side. (laughs) So it doesn't take a lot for uh, the water to start to encroach on the uh, Memorial Bridge on the uh, west side. And, of course, they had to address that. uh, Long story short was the uh, Sny or sorry, the Fabius River guys, uh, the West Quincy levee workers. They decided they were going to go ahead and close it. They didn't even tell MoDOT. They just decided to close it. It was already kind of in the works that it was going to happen once the river reached this stage. And they just said, we're closing this bridge right now. And so that happened on July 1st. And we all know what a backup just in modern times that creates from that flow from, you know, Quincy to West Quincy. So imagine that plus the additional stress of the unknown of what was coming. And boy, that's, that's not great if you're a commuter. So we moved to July 2nd and keep talking about these bridges. Well, the next one to go down is going to be the old Hannibal Bridge. Uh, the uh, Missouri, sorry, the Illinois side was finally getting to the level that the water was uh, encroaching on it. So they had to close the bridge at Hannibal. So now we got Louisiana and Hannibal closed. Of course, you know what July is. It's 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 a time to celebrate America with the 4th of July. And, and unfortunately, the celebration's not going to be happening this yeah, year. Yeah, not this year. Not, not in 1993 it wasn't. Focus was elsewhere, Chris. Huh? Exactly. So the city of Quincy decided to go ahead and cancel the festivities. Of course, uh, they don't do it anymore. But back in the day, they used to have it at the riverfront. And uh, it was funny. I came across a story that was talking about how the riverfront still stunk from the April storms or April flooding that happened. And so it wasn't really a great place to do it anyway and now you had this flooding issue so they thought it was best just to go ahead and uh, cancel the festivities for the fourth of july activities in quincy so uh as we get there to the fourth uh as we mentioned that they they were canceled then on the fifth the bridges at Hannibal, Hamilton and Keokuk were closed, all right? So now we lose a couple more bridges. This made Bayview Bridge the only crossing now between Alton, Illinois and Fort Madison, Iowa. So a pretty big stretch there between uh, between areas. So now the Bayview Bridge becomes a vital infrastructure even, piece. Even more bottlenecking of, yeah. of a traffic flow. July 5th was actually also, Chris, the first time it, the national NBC Evening News national coverage started kind of falling on the area. There were some reports from Hannibal that day talking about the efforts to save downtown Hannibal. There was a lot of uh, a lot of public outcry 
of those not in the downtown Hannibal area that were affected by the floodwaters. It didn't have the same protection as the floodgates. So that was a heavy, heavy issue on that was covered on the national NBC evening news on July 5th of that year as well. So I mentioned that when we first started that when I did this timeline, it really started hitting me of how it just every day something was happening. And now we're getting to that point where literally every day something major and catastrophic happened in the tri-state area. So we want to start with the July 7th, the Celotex plant, which the, the building is kind of still there, but the, the plant is no longer there. I'm really bad with my, my city, um, my city streets it's the one on front street it's the one that if you go up the hill you're right next to uh, uh woodlawn cemetery uh, uh yeah i think that might be jefferson jefferson okay so the celotex plant was right there unfortunately celotex which is no longer there today uh lost their fight with the river it ended up flooding portions or actually a good portion of, of their plants also our uh our great mayor schultz that uh, has been on the show many times we talked about the last episode he finally uh, decided that it was best to issue a state of emergency for the city that implemented some things and gave him some tax dollars to work with uh to to fight the flood but as i mentioned one of the big parts about this is the levees themselves and we started to see more of them start to fail the union levee south of lagrange it it spilled over the top of its levee it flooded four thousand acres also the gregory landing was topped which covered another eight thousand acres it also forced the evacuation of canton missouri uh, weird thing about this and I, I wish i had a little bit more time to research this but from my understanding canton which isn't too far away from quincy uh it wasn't actually flooded, but Correct. they had a secondary levy and they were concerned that that levy might fail. So they went ahead and had the people of Canton evacuate in precaution and they ended up moving into Hannibal, or excuse me, uh, Culver Stockton College. Is, yeah. is a new Spo- home. Spoiler alert, Canton is about the only guys who came out in the green here yeah um we'll get there yeah yeah uh finally on on uh july 7th governor jim edgar uh, always been a great governor in my opinion uh, for the state of illinois uh, he toured the flooded areas and, and when asked uh, about his impressions his response was just simply it's a lot of water <laughs> i think all levees at that point were on july 7th were at critical stages i mean there wasn't one that wasn't right in the red yeah. yeah, it was it was rough. We'll have a graphic. Uh, go to our website. We'll have a graphic of all the locations of all of these levees along the Mississippi River in the Quincy uh, area. So it gives you a little bit better of a vision or viewpoint of what we're talking about as we're going along. Speaking of going along, well, let's move to, to July 8th because, as you mentioned, those levees just keep failing. One of the big ones that was an issue, and you hear about every single time there's flooding in the Quincy area, is the Meyer Levee. Right. Mm -hmm. We always hear about that one. Well, this one, unfortunately, got topped on May 8th or excuse me, July 8th. Uh, This flooded 13,000 acres, which is a huge area. But the problem with that also is that the Hunt Drainage District, which is right next to Meyer, also flooded which added another 15,000 acres of flooded land. So there was a whole 28,000 acres just north of Quincy that were flooded uh, on July 8th. That wasn't the only one, though. Real quick here. Marion County, so we go over on the other side of the river, the Marion County, Missouri Drainage District lost their levy as well and added another 4,200 acres of land that was now underwater. And as, as horrific as all this was starting to pan out, in a way, the human spirit was in full swing at QU Stadium. The sandbagging efforts became kind of centralized, and this became such a huge outpouring of just 
human sacrifice in actually donating their time and talents to, I mean, there were thousands of people out, out there sandbagging. They had families. Kids were holding the bags. It was a family outing. It was a tremendous show of human spirit that even though things were rough, I mean, people were pulling together and, and it's easy to lose sight of what a, what a, you know, what a great thing that was from a community standpoint, even though that things were really just falling apart down at the levees, Chris. Yeah. And, uh, we'll, we'll talk more about that definitely on the Patreon side, because, uh, you know, there, that was something that a lot of people experienced as kids. I, I think you did as well. Yeah, I was, um, I was out there. Yeah. So, uh, we'll talk about the details of that coming up, uh, kind of the personal side of things uh, on the Patreon side. Uh, I mentioned the hunts in Lima Lake, uh, drainage districts if, if you're going to kind of get a visual i can't look at the map that we're going to have for you uh the hunt districts up in uh just south of Han- ha- uh, excuse me hamilton then down below that where meyer is at that's actually the lima lake district which we call you know the the meyer levy uh and then below that is the indian grave drainage district and this is the one just to the north of quincy and uh on July 9th, attention was put on the Indian Graves Drainage District because the levee actually shifted. The Mm. whole levee moved because what happened was uh, it actually prompted an evacuation of the district because when the Meyer levee was breached, the Indian Graves levee saw a foot and a half drop in the river level because of the water actually going back upstream and going into that district and and the water draining into that. And then I guess one thing we really want to point out is that what happened with all these levees when they broke is that you would see like a uh, you would see the, like the 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 river levels and you'd see on the chart there would be a dip and it would fall down like a foot or two and it's like a huge drop and what was happening was literally the water had a place to go so it went into these drainage districts and then what happens is when the water got equalized back out all of a sudden, now we got more rain coming down the river. And so what does the river do? It goes back up again. It goes back in. So, yeah. so when you saw the hunt in Lima Lake District's flood, and you saw Indian graves, they saw a drop. But guess what? Now the water goes back up once everything equalizes out. So uh, that was something that you heard consistently like, oh, you know, uh, maybe we're going to get lucky if, uh, if this drain, this, um, this, you know, it's unlucky for the people way south in St. Louis or south in St. Louis if they have a levee break, but it'll give us a relief and maybe we'll be able to save our levee if that happens. So it's kind of a morbid way yeah. of looking at it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, very uh, intense time. And so, of course, the Indian grave, as of, um, as of that date, as of the 9th, was still holding on. But guess what's going to happen on July 10th? I keep saying May, May uh, July 9th. Uh, guess what happened on July 10th? Didn't bear so well. Yeah, well, actually, um, it did. It was okay. It was okay, but but there, there was, was some else. storming. There was another storm. Yeah. Uh, so we had another violent storm come through, and reports from Indian Graves Levee District was reported that the the levee was just mush. Like you couldn't even step on it. It was just one big mushy like sinkhole sand trap, pretty much because it was getting so bad. And nobody thought the levee would even make it through the night. Uh, so not only was that an issue and something to keep an eye on, but uh, there's a little town uh, just outside on the other side of the river. Uh, across from Keokuk, or excuse me, Fort Madison, and it's called Nyota. 
Okay. And Nyota was another one that was of, of interest because, you know, we talked about early Fort Madison was one of the few areas across the river. Right. So, yeah. uh, unfortunately at 7 PM on July 10th, sirens started wailing in the town of Nyota. And that was because the levee was breached and the town was abandoned and, uh, the town was flooded and the river claimed, uh, the town. And, uh, the problem with that was they claimed the town in Nyota you also claim the Fort Madison Bridge. So we lost, lost another yeah. bridge to the river. So that was July 10th. Uh, and what I want to talk about with the bridge was that made Quincy the last remaining bridge on the Mississippi, crossing the Mississippi for 200 miles. Oh, my. So we move on. Uh, July 11th was one of the very few quiet days when it <laughs> came to the levee, which is kind of surprising. Uh, but we moved to July 12th. And after surviving two more days, you know, we just talked about it, that Indian graves being as mushy as it was. Well, uh, she finally let loose. And it was around 5 a.m. And it's at Baseline Road. And about 5 a.m. that morning, it finally broke free where 9,000 additional acres were flooded. Unfortunately, the Indian graves levee uh, was lost. So now we take in perspective by July 12th, everything north of Quincy all the way up for a ways is now flooded. Everything, there's nothing left. Yeah, it's 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 lapping at Quincy, the north part of Quincy at this point. I yeah. mean, it's 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 right. It's here. Yeah. yeah. So we moved to July 13th. Uh, by this time, this is when it starts getting crazy. Uh, not that it hasn't been already. Uh, but the river at this time is at an all-time high of 31.54 feet. This is nearly three feet higher than it has ever been recorded in history. Uh, by the 13th, by the end of the day on the 13th, the National Weather Service actually measured the river stage at Quincy. And at the end of the day, it was at 32.13 feet. Travis, that is the official number of the highest crest. That was the highest crest ever recorded, and that happened on July 13th at 32.13 feet. That record has sat ever since for 30 years. Uh, 2019 got the closest at 31.16, but it was still nearly a foot lower than what they experienced in 93. Yeah, if I can stop for just a minute yeah. and talk about this. Um, you know, obviously, boy, everyone was fighting tooth and nail just to keep those that sandbag production up. In a lot of cases, bulldozers were being utilized to just push sand to help heighten the levees in the area. Um, a lot of times what they were doing at that point was when you had all that sand, a big concern on levee patrolling was what was called bo sand boils. Mm. And you hear that come up all the time, and that would basically be where water would be seeping through the sand. And a lot of times what would happen is they would start putting straw on top of the sand to help reinforce it, hoping that would slow down the erosion. So it was interesting to see the different processes at the time that were – I mean, this is this is a last-ditch effort, but – just the kind of the who knows how much it actually helped in the end, but boy, every, they were trying everything they could. I guess is what I'm getting at to just you know make those levees hang on because yeah. it was dire. Yeah, and it was you were pretty much uh, you, anything that you could possibly do to make it uh, last. You were trying to do. I mean, uh, you hear reports of obviously using straw and things like that, but I mean, even to the point where you're putting sandbags and, and plastic and and and. and two by four two by sixes two by eights up there you're creating walls you're just trying to do anything you can uh, to to keep that uh, river back and i don't know if you you felt the same way i did chris watching some of these interviews back then but my god just 
the look in the the farmers that they talked to in these levee districts, just that you could tell how exhausted they were. And when you, they literally have everything on the line. And just to catch somebody in that instance, it's really heartbreaking just to think how much they've invested. And I mean, you can see it in their eyes. And that's not something you you yeah. have the opportunity, thank God, to see a lot. But when you see it, it really hits you hard. You kind of remind you of, we already talked about the town, but a different circumstance in May 10th of 2003 when uh, Canton, Missouri got hit with the tornado. You kind of saw that yeah. firsthand approach of, of this this event that happened was that was life changing for people. And right. unfortunately, I mean, that was just a, a indicated single events that happened in, in, in that area. But you go in, you look at this where you go 200 mile stretch, as we mentioned, and th- this is happening to everybody. The, everybody yeah. lives in these areas are getting affected. It's and, not just a few people. And these people are getting, you know, interviewed after weeks of exhausting backbreaking work. Right. And seeing other people's fates of the levees breaking and all that, that work and all that time just being washed away, literally and metaphorically speaking. I, I, God, what a you know horrific place to be at. Yeah. So, you know, we talk about these levees and, and unfortunately we're not done yet. There's still uh, quite a few that are still hanging on. And so we get in still into July 13th. We talked about Indian Graves. Well, Indian Graves is actually broke up into two different sections because there's some uh, lateral levees from the way I understand that also protect areas. So there were they were continuing to work on that, but unfortunately weren't able to hold that one back either. So another 9,000 acres were flooded when the north section of Indian Graves gave away. And again, that was on July 13th. Also, we go across the river, the South River Drainage District. This is a crazy one, and I hope I can find a picture. I've seen it, but hopefully I can find one uh, of what I'm getting ready to talk about here. But um, the South River Drainage District is just north of Hannibal. It ha- it uh, holds back water uh, that would encroach 10,000 acres and also numerous houses and businesses. Unfortunately, that broke. It flooded that whole area, but there was one island that was holding off, and that was the cyanamid plant. Uh, they had a 35-foot levee surrounding the plant, and that uh, levee was hold, uh, held off the water. And I know there's a aerial picture, and hopefully we'll have that somewhere for you that we can post that, but that was just one of those images where literally there's a plant in the middle of an ocean. That's incredible that that, that stayed dry. Well, yeah. maybe not 100% dry, but at least that... <laughs> Close to dry, yeah. right? It did not it did not break? So, uh, but there's some other areas still. We have a few that are still holding on. You know, we we've hit our high. Maybe we're going to get past it. Maybe some of these levees are going to survive. You know, uh, but uh, one of those that's being considered that uh, we're keeping an eye on when it's July 13th of 1993 was, of course, the big one, the Sny Island Levee District, and Hull is is right next to the levee, and people began knowing what was happening. They understood that they see all these other levees that are failing so city uh, people in the city of hall start to to evacuate and if you're not familiar with where hall is at it's just uh maybe i'd say about 20 miles or so south of quincy uh, not too far away it's a small little town and uh so they began to evacuate as a precaution because they wouldn't have a lot of time to get out if the uh if the the levee did break also another uh, of course the big one that we mentioned and you're going to hear a lot about that one coming up in the next few minutes is the fabius river drain district the fabi 
Vesuvius is pretty much the the south uh, of West Quincy. It's the West Quincy levee. Uh, so mm-hmm. um, at this point in time, on July 13th, uh, the district engineer, Norman Hare, says it's hanging on by a thread. Uh, he uh, was quoted, actually, by the Quincy Herald Whig saying that erosion will be what gets us as an actual quote that he told the Whig back in uh, July of 93. Um, so again, it's July 13th and, and we're going to go a couple days down the road because uh, it, it held on for three more days. Uh, yeah. So we move again, 14th and 15th, a lot of work going on, making sure these levees stay secure. Uh, but then we move to July 16th. And this is a big day. Uh, because on July 16th, shortly after 8 p.m., uh, the river broke through a section of levee just north of the Bayview Bridge. As water rushed into West Quincy, two barges broke free and came through the levee. And also, I'm sure most everybody that's probably listened to this has seen it uh, when you had Michelle McCormick and also Steve Luton over in West Quincy. And they were uh, videotaping the floods. And all of a sudden, we see smoke and fire. Yeah. So evidently what happened was a uh, a, a tank got, uh, it looks like it's buoyancy. If you really watched the video, there were some that speculated that the barge hit the the tanks, but that wasn't the case because you can see clear in the video, there's no barge there. Uh, Most likely, I think it was buoyancy that the water finally got to it and maybe it was pressure and it popped one of the fuel tanks or these big fuel barrels up. And then all of a sudden you had a big, huge flame. Do you remember that, Travis? Yeah, boy, I don't think you can, you can, you know, the, yeah, there's some speculation whether the barges that broke through the levee about a mi- half mile north of the bridges area struck, you know, something to ignite the fire. But boy, when you say a fire, I, I think you're underplaying. <laughs> yeah, the, this was fireball. This was flames were probably, I'd say conservatively three stories, four stories tall, mm-hmm. just plumes of black smoke. Um no, this was this was an apocalyptic landscape. Looking across the river, you had the the, the flooding, you had the fire on the water. I mean, smoke on the water, fire in the sky. <laughs> That's literally what was playing out right then and there. Yeah. Uh, I remember that day specifically. Telling you one of my personal experiences. I think my brother and I were at home. I don't remember where my parents were at at that time, but uh, my brother and I were at home, and I remember us seeing it on TV, and we actually walked outside, and we lived, you know. 20 plus miles away and uh, outside of Payson, we could look outside and see the smoke yeah. billowing up in the huge. air that night. I, huge. I will never forget that image. And I, I have it ingrained in my memory because you could see that from so far away. Uh, it kind of reminds me of the smoke from the, you know, the Quincy airport when the, when we had the, the fire up there too, but it's something that really kind of that image is just burned in your memory. You uh, know, it's, it's interesting because before the night when that happened again on the 16th, Earlier, just at the 6 p.m. newscast, uh, it was kind of an interesting first. WGM had the first live broadcast from an Army National Guard helicopter. They were actually wow. able to broadcast live. Reporter Tom Vodak was covering the flooded region, concentrating mostly on uh, the Sny River levee area. And, uh, boy, he was able to really get around. And that was interesting kind of that they were able to do that in 1993. The technology, I mean, it just went to show you that media stations, WGM was kind of at the forefront at that time, were really kind of doing some innovative things to, to, to do their best to cover this and be as live and up to the minute. And what, what was an interesting, you know, 6 p.m. newscast, like you said, quickly around was at 8 o'clock turned catastrophic when the levee, you know, gave way over in West Quincy. 
Yeah, if I uh, and we're going to talk about that here in a second, but uh, kind of mentioned the WGEM aspect of it. They extended their newscast out. They ended up, um, you know, going to WGEM AM nonstop. It was uh, pretty much yeah. twenty four hour coverage there. Um, and uh, since we're on this subject, real quick, uh, as I mentioned, we've had this opportunity that um, this is a very uh, special occasion because obviously it's been thirty years. Um, the people that were involved with this obviously still remember it very vividly i mean it's it's i mean I hate to say this but it's it's kind of the midwest's 9-11 i mean it's something you always remember these yeah, sort of yeah. things from hugely back in that significant day. yeah yeah so uh we wanted to track down some of those people that were closely involved and in one of those people of course he's been on here before and has um has uh excited us and entertained us with uh, some various things but we had an opportunity we asked none other than uh, Chief Meteorologist Rich Kane at KHQA, who uh, used to be a WGEM, used to work on the radio side. We uh, decided to ask him the question about what his uh, most significant memory was from the flood of 93, and uh, this is what he told us. You wanted to pick out the, the most memorable. <laughs> that's, that's like asking, what's your favorite tree in the forest? West Quincy, we lost the West Quincy levee on a Friday. I think that was July 16th. And I was called back into work. Uh, Leo Henning and myself were up on the rooftop of the Hotel Quincy uh, reporting on the water that was spilling in uh, that levee break, watching the barge cross over what was the Airco service station and all that water that was coming in and seeing the sheriff of Marion County being the last one to leave uh, as he was traveling west on 24 towards the Taylor Interchange. He was the last vehicle out. The next day we reconvened at the studio uh, at around 7 a.m. that Saturday morning and we were pondering where do we, what do we do next because the only bridge that could cross the Mississippi River was at St. Louis to our south. To the north, it was basically the Quad Cities because Highway 34 at Burlington, that was closed. Keokuk was closed, 136. Quincy was closed. Hannibal was closed. Louisiana was closed. So it's like, what do we do? Well, we decided that well, we got to pay our attention now to the Snye Levee. About 8 o'clock that morning, I'm on the rooftop of the hotel with my transmitter and a, and a, a two-way receiver. I got summoned immediately to the studio, so I went back down the stairwell to the AM studio that's in the basement of the Hotel Quincy and Steve Cramlett, who was sitting at the telephone console, said that the president's going to call us. I mean, we, were, we were all in shock. I mean, Jeff Dorsey was there. Bob Turek was there. I was there. Steve Cramlett, Leo Henning. A number of national press media were already there. But it was very quick to get more national media to cover what was going to take place with that infamous phone call. So later on in the morning, I think it was close to 10.30, quarter of 11, 
President Clinton was on Air Force One en route to St. Louis for a governor's conference. And his uh, secretary called us and said, stand by. If the next person you're going to be talking to is the president of the United States. So we all kind of thought about quest uh, a question that we should ask. Steve Cramlett immediately looked at everybody and said, should I ask him about his golf game? <laughs> Very lighthearted moment that morning. So the phone call came in. Jeff Dorsey asked for a couple of words uh, in support of all the effort that was taking place everywhere. Uh, Bob Turk asked him a question, although I can't, I can't remember the specific question, but at the time I was sitting to the right of Bob Turek and I asked about the possibility of federal troops being called in to relieve the stress and the long days of those already sandbagging on the levees. And his response was, not at this time. And so we all appreciated uh, the president's time, wished him the best in travel, and we'll hear from him in St. Louis. So several years later, I learned that, you know, what was it that made President Bill Clinton call this, as Peter Jennings called at the time, the little station that could? So the truth of the matter is, Harry Smith, who was a correspondent for CBS at the time, spent a week broadcasting segments for the morning show, CBS morning show. He decided that he would like to stay. He was given the blessing from CBS News. And he was the one that talked to the press secretary to say, could you ask the president to call this station to give him words of encouragement? So Harry Smith had a lot to do with that phone call. And we thank Bill Clinton at the same time. So that just happens to be one of the highlights from what took place 30 plus or 30 years ago this summer, actually. It was a very long, stressful time. We were all putting in 18, 20 hours a day, sleeping what we could. We had a relief shift during the nighttime that was Mike Moyers, Reggie Coleman, John Tripp, John Van Ness. We all put in very long hours. And, um, yeah, we were the little station that could. Man, you know, when you hear that, Travis, and you hear about uh, how he remembers the details of, yeah. of that, it's just, it's really significant about, you know, seeing kind of the background of what was happening and getting all this information. No, that's huge. Um, boy, the, very, very much the front lines there. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, so we, of course, had that, that levy that broke, uh, it, you know, Steve Luton was there, uh, Michelle McCormick, and... You know, at first it was just, oh my gosh, this happened, and then all of a sudden, uh, a few days later, it was maybe, maybe a little bit more questionable to what actually happened in West Quincy. We're not going to put a lot of emphasis on that because we're going to wait till the next episode. Because guess what? Our next episode is our next category is Travis. That would be crime, Chris. <laughs> 
And of course, it looks like, according to uh, a jury of somebody's peers, that this was indeed a crime, and actually the only crime ever to be committed uh, like this. And we're going to be talking about uh, James Scott coming up in the next episode of Wild Quincy. So we'll have more details. Again, I hate to leave you on a string on that, but uh, we got to need a full episode for that. Yeah, to to your point, Chris, July 22nd is actually the date where investigation was kicked off by the Fabius River Commission when they became suspicious that the nature of the levee break may have actually been potentially sabotage. No names were brought up at that point, but that is the first day where the actual uh, investigation kind of kicked off in what would become a notorious story you'll hear about more later. Yeah, it's uh, definitely one we'll dive into deep, so be listening for that coming up on the uh, next episode of Wild Quincy. But uh, we're not done yet. Uh, We still have some levees holding on for dear life, and it really came down to one of the last ones here, and that was none other than... um, than the SNI. Uh, before we get to that, though, uh, one of the things that uh, did happen, talking about WGM and, of course, their excellent coverage, uh, was that uh, President Clinton decided to call in to WGM AM, and uh, he ended up giving some words of encouragement. So that happened on the 17th. And then on the 19th, the West Quincy Levy... Um, the waters begin to recede uh, in the area, dropping nearly a foot and a half to 30 and a half feet. And this was happening actually at the, the, the Quincy uh, measuring area at the Quincy. I believe it's, I believe it's at the um, um, where the water uh, tanks are at is where they do the, the measuring at. Mm. Um, don't quote me on that. I'm, I'm like 80% sure about that. Sure. Uh, but uh, what happened was the waters began receding because West Quincy flooded, and so you had uh, where it was at 31 and a half feet. Well, it dropped another foot. I also failed to mention that when the West Quincy levee did fail, not only did um, it cover a lot of acres, it ended up being 14,000 acres. It also destroyed houses and numerous businesses were, were destroyed. And get this, Travis, it not only closed Highway 61, but when the waters finally stopped pushing inland it was seven miles inland the mm. water mississippi, mississippi river went boy that's wild yeah so uh, obviously you have all that water getting sucked in there you had the water levels going down so it was like hey maybe we made it you know so the sny is still holding on maybe it's going to survive but unfortunately the national weather service came out with a new crest prediction that's uh, again this is july 19th that on july 24th the river would once again get to 32 feet so just a you know couple couple tenths of an inch below where it was at its record crest so, again, the only level levy remaining in the area was the Sny Levy. And uh, you've heard that name before, but many probably don't realize that the Sny Island Levy District is the largest levy and drainage district in the upper Mississippi River. And it's, it provides drainage and protection for 110,000 acres mm. in Adams, Pike, and Calhoun counties. And, of course, if, if, if there's those listening who aren't familiar with kind of the growing season when it comes to, you know, corn and beans. I mean, that's peak growing season. Yeah. I mean, that's... Yeah, July. Yep. You couldn't pick a worse... I mean, <laughs> you're done. Yeah, at the, I mean, exactly. So, uh, Dan Pebbin, and I pronounced that name probably incorrectly, he's the superintendent of the levy at Sny. He told the Quincy Herald Wig that we're going to hold more water than we ever held before, and it looks like we're going to do her. So, it, they were suggesting that possibly we're going to make it. That you know, it yeah. can, that they they made it this far. It's crested once. What we an might incredible, be able to survive. What an incredible effort! And as 
as well as what was happening there in the Sny, there was a little silver lining up in Keokuk on the 19th, a day before. Efforts were made to reopen the Keokuk mm. Bridge at that point. And, you know, that helped tremendously in having another avenue across the river. But all eyes were on the Sny Levee, to your point, Chris. Yeah. Another memory just popped in my head. I remember going up to Keokuk with my parents. They put a bunch of rocks down, and that's how you crossed it. Yeah, I remember that now. Um, But yeah, so going back to the Sny, uh, they thought it was going to hold. And remember I told you just a minute ago that the National Weather Service was predicting that it crossed again at 32 feet? Yeah. Well, it never got to that level, which was great because that helped. But everybody was still holding their breath because of the Sny. There was a couple problem areas. One of those problem areas for the Sny Island Levee District was actually just uh, just around the Hannibal area, what we refer to as East Hannibal. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to the south, there was an area that was a continuous issue for them, and they always kept an eye on it and always tried to continuously support it to make sure, you know, you mentioned those boils and things like that. They were having things happen there. Unfortunately, that was the weak spot. And at 11.20 a.m. on July 25th, the Sny Island lost the lost the fight, and a breach occurred. And again, just east of Han- to the east of Hannibal, between Hannibal and Fall Creek, and uh, it was a, a significant thing. I know part of that thing where they did with the flood watch. They talked about a couple guys who were were put in bags, uh, and the levee b- broke, and they had nowhere to go, and they spent two hours on a bulldozer because they couldn't go anywhere, and they just sat on the bulldozer. And I, I found it really funny because they interviewed one of the guys, and he said it was a really fun two hours of us joking around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, obviously they were finding a little sense of humor in the, the craziness, but. Yeah. That's got to be scary. Boy. Yeah. Fortunately, a National Guard helicopters were able to to get them out of, out yeah. of this pretty horrible situation. Exactly. There. Um, I always get nervous, and you know how I am about snakes. I'm always thinking, like, how many animals and snakes and stuff are trying to crawl up on that on anything they can. In that I, I I don't know if I'm remembering this story or if it's just something someone told me or if it's what I heard on the news. But to your point, Chris, I mean. I the memory I have it may not have been this exact instance is of people clinging on trying to find the high ground and so were everything else yeah and they are just picking up snakes and throwing uh-huh. them off that are coming can you imagine that mm, I, mean, I no mm. I don't want to um, yeah yeah will yeah, haunt no. you tonight in your dreams yeah. <laughs> exactly so unfortunately with the Sny Island uh, Levy District forty thousand acres were now inundated with water along with dozens and dozens of farms but as we mentioned earlier the town of Hull was also greatly hit and you'll see some video if you uh we will we'll share some videos that we'll we'll share links to and you can see of course one of the big eye-opening things for that was uh there's a there's a uh, an elevator a grain elevator there it ended up busting and a bunch of corn came out you can see that on aerial shots and then you can see days later when the waters finally settled in and all the water was in the the area that they ran boats into hull and and it was pretty much up to the roofs of the buildings that it was so yeah. high up um and it was a complete destruction in the city of hall boy boy they they really almost made it and you could tell some people had refused to leave because they felt like boy we made it that far you know we're going to make this out and you know the the news crews were there as they were you know as the levee was breaking and the the water was coming in a little you know it took a couple hours i think to actually get there and and start taking over the town so people had some time to evacuate and 
boy, heartbreaking to hear the news crews talking to these people as they, you know, just had to throw their hands up and said, God, you know, God, we almost made it and there's nothing we can do. It's Im- imminent. And, you know, they were throwing the last things in the car and getting out of there. And that yeah. was heartbreaking to watch. Yeah. Kudos, by the way, I-, I was thinking as I was watching that was that a kudos to whoever was in the newsroom that thought, oh, you know what? Fall Creek Overlook would be the most impressive that place to be. That was a great be. shot. Like whoever shot. thought that was just, that was an, that was a great idea. Like, I, I mean, kudos to them because you could see it. They were up there for a long time. I remember being at home and watching that that day. Uh, and you just see the water slowly creeping in. It's just, uh, just uh, an all, all, in, all side. I, I don't even know what the right word is. Um, but uh, as I mentioned, the sty protects 110,000 acres on a positive note though it did not get into all the all the areas like i said it was only forty thousand acres i say that probably shouldn't say only that's a lot of acres of forty thousand acres compared to everything else that had been happening right that wasn't as bad as it could have been obviously right again on a positive note there's some what they refer to as lateral levees so there's levees that are kind of coming out from the mississippi river that protect sometimes it's different creeks or sometimes they just have some other protection areas just to to keep their different areas separated out and uh, the lateral levees in the districts were actually able to hold in Sny island levee district and it kept sixty six thousand acres still dry so again talk about that positive notes i mean there's yeah, not a whole that's... lot to talk about but that area you know cyanamid surviving canton surviving um you know there's some some positive lights in this huge disaster you got to take your wins wherever you can get them in that situation. Right. And and to your point, I mean, July 30th, to piggyback off that good news, was actually a rare bit of good news coming for those in Canton, Missouri. As the city was given permission to return to their homes, the levees had become at a manageable area again. And it was nice to see a little bit of coverage of, of these people coming back to their houses that were still dry and just that, my God, the sense of relief in their eyes as they could actually sit down for a minute and not have to worry about everything. And uh, that was a welcome respite to everything else you'd been seeing just days earlier there in the whole area. Yeah. The other thing, and it just, you know, you, as you're growing up, and again, I, I, I wish I was 10 years older probably than I was to understand the full grasp yeah. of how significant this event was. But I do remember, of course, it took forever ever for this stuff to dry out and uh you know it took months and i remember when hannibal opened back up and me and my father went to hannibal and the just looking at the desolation and it just looked like a desert of just mud and it was just amazing i again this is 11 or 12 year old chris remembering this is that you just remember just it does it looked like a it looked like a foreign plant planet going down there on the the bottoms when they dried out I mean, that was a big part of August as well throughout the community. And the communities north of Quincy were just then to able to kind of return. Some of the, the waters had receded enough and been pumped out enough for those communities like Nyota and uh, Alexandria, Missouri, as a matter of fact. There was a huge question whether that, that whole community could even rebuild. There was talk about it not even re- trying to recover. Fortunately, over time, they were able to rebuild. 
whole, there was even a little bit of uh, time later when when they reevaluated. There was some consideration. I don't know how serious it got for for how long, but even thinking about maybe moving to a higher elevation mm-hmm. closer to the bluff, it never panned out. But this was the amount of desolation to where the entire city's existence and their positioning was questioned. That's saying something. Yeah. Well, and even take a look. I mean, where I think you can really examine the effects of the flood of 93 is if you go down to the south side of Hannibal and you look at uh, when you cross Bear Creek and if you take a left on any of those streets going towards the river and you get to the bottoms that used to be full of houses and now it's just dirt and grass in a field i mean it you see the city streets still down there but there's nothing down there and that's because fema said nope you, it, we're not gonna let you build here anymore boy that was that was a bad deal yeah, yeah that yeah. was that was rough yeah so uh yeah so cleanup took forever I, I i'll be honest with you i was so entrenched with the uh the lead up and all the levees that i never got it really much of a follow-up on on the uh the cleanup effort but it wasn't something that was just a couple weeks and and it was back to normal for sure yeah september i mean it took all the way till september 25th for the bridges here in quincy for enough of the water to be pumped down to where the they could sandbag and open up the uh, the highways there. I don't. Do you remember going across the river there yeah. when when the water was still right to the sandbag? It was level? Walls you were below of water. water. Yep, yep. And and you would drive and God, I think at that point, I think you went all the way to the Canton turnoff there. I think at sixty one before the land started showing up again. Yeah. But boy, that was eerie. Just looking out your window and seeing water at eye level above the sandbags. Just thinking, maybe I shouldn't be over here right now. <laughs> Is this safe, Baba Dad? Yeah, I mean, it was. Uh, yeah. Boy, that, that I think that that out of all the memories, that and the the Airco station with the 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 flames and the yeah. the smoke is probably the biggest visuals in my mind. Right. That. Exactly. Well, hey, let's talk about some of the effects because you know it wasn't just about our little two hundred mile stretch that was affected. I mean, the whole Mississippi River, all the Missouri, all the Illinois, all the. Uh, Des Moines, all those rivers were being affected. So let me give you some stats real quick. I came across three different numbers, but reports indicate either 38, sorry, 38, 47, or 50 deaths were attributed directly to the flood. Also, the Midwest flood of 93 was the most costliest flood event in U.S. history. There's ranges that estimate between 12 billion with a B to 16 billion. Mm-hmm. Uh, agriculture accounts for almost half of the damages, and at least 15 million acres of farmland were inundated. More than 100,000 homes were damaged. At least 10,000 homes were totally destroyed. Tens of thousands of people were evacuated. Some would never see their homes again. At least 75 towns were either totally or completely under flood water. So you can include Hull in that number as well. Yeah. Uh, flood uh, flooded over 6.6 million acres in 419 counties in the upper Mississippi basin. Total physical damages to roads and bridges exceeded $250 million. Uh, Flooding of the approaches of the bridges over the Mississippi River at Quincy, Illinois, it ended up being 73 days it was closed. It was estimated that with that bridge closed in Quincy that there was an estimated $30 million in lost business revenue for Quincy merchants alone. 
Mm. So big thing. A couple things I found really interesting because you know, don't even think about the roads, but there's other sorts of transportation services that are also affected. And I found this is kind of interesting. So trains and train tracks is one that you kind of would turn to next. Over 800 miles of track were flooded. Several main lines were inundated for varying periods of time, but most trains were routed around the flooded areas. The American Association or the Association of American Railroads estimated that the railroad damages totaled $182 million. Uh, also was damaged to tracks, bridges, signals, and so on and so forth. They also said there was an additional $51 million that resulted in detouring trains around the floodplains. So, so trains were affected. This is one you wouldn't expect, but airports... The FAA identified 33 airports with varying degrees of flood damage, and they uh, had the estimated repairs at around $5.4 million. There were 16 airports in Missouri and 12 in Iowa that were flooded. Uh, river traffic, talking about another sort of uh, mode of transportation, uh, they were closed, uh, the barge traffic from July 11th to August 15th, and uh, it was estimated that the loss of revenue for navigation was around $300 million per month that was lost mm -hmm. revenue because the barges couldn't move. Uh, finally, talked about the levees, just to give you a little bit of an overview and a big scale picture uh, of the approximate 8,000 miles of levees on the upper Mississippi River Basin. Roughly half were constructed by federal government that uh, met federal standards. Uh, in total, 40 federal government levees broke and 1,043 state and local levees broke. Uh, across from St. Louis to Columbia, Illinois, a levee uh, bursted in August 1st of 93. This allowed uh, the river to crest and flood 47,000 acres of land uh, a few days later. This is a crazy story. If you don't hear about this, I'll look it up. Columbia, Illinois. The water, the way the Mississippi was built... The flood flooded the north side and started filling it up, and they realized the only way to not make things worse was to blow a hole in the south side of the levee so the water could come all the way through. Oh, wow. Yeah, so if you get a chance, take a look online and, and read into that because it's a very interesting thing. I won't go into much detail here about it, but it's a, it's a crazy story about how they actually dynamited a levee to save a town. Well, I, I, I think a lot of a lot of uh, when it came to drainage of the, the flooded areas, there was a lot of holes in the levees that were created man-made to help with the water getting back into the, the river kind yeah. of uh, where it fell. So, boy, yeah, the weird engineering that would have to happen for these situations is unexpected, to say the least. Right. So as we get things wrapped up here, we have to ask the big question, the most important question out of everything. Is this a possibility that it could happen again? And that is something neither Travis or I can answer without yeah. any professional knowledge. So let's Not crystal balls in the shop, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> let's turn to the guy that might be able to talk about that. Jim Agel, the uh, tired state Illinois climatologist, gives us his thoughts. Uh, could this ever happen again? This was such a crazy event, and there's a, so many factors involved with it. But, you know, if we we're going to, you know, just take a wild guess in the dark and, and maybe make this a bold and blunt question so it's easy to answer. But is this ever going to happen again? <laughs> I had a professor used to say, never say never with meteorology. So, <laughs> right. Uh, I think that's true. I, I, you know, I think it is obviously a very rare event. Uh, and, and you know, maybe it's a, maybe it's a once in a lifetime event, as far as we know. 
Uh, we haven't seen anything like it in the historical record for something that big or that large an area over that long time period. But that doesn't mean it's, it couldn't happen again. Uh, we just don't have enough data to really have a confidence to you know, make a prediction on, oh, yeah, the next 50 years we'll see that again kind of thing. But we do know that, that uh, Illinois and, and the rest of the Midwest has been getting wetter over the last uh, decade or last century or so. So uh, it probably ups the ante or odds of that happening in the future. I, I don't want to put too much speculation into this, but you know, one of the things that I've seen in the past has to do with when you look at, I don't know if you go back a hundred years, maybe just, you know, 70 or 80 years that we used to not, you know, dam up the, the river. And so this had some natural escape points to where you may not have had this extreme flooding. Maybe this stuff isn't as uh, rare as we think it is, but now since we're kind of damming it up, I, I mean, is it possible that we're, you know, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but I mean, are we, are we, can, are we putting it in there a tight area and that has nowhere to go? So it's just going to go up. <laughs> That's right. If you talk to the hydrologist, that is the problem. Problem that when you put the levees in, that constrains it to its a very narrow channel. Whereas, you know, the Mississippi River, I mean, if you look around Hannibal Quincy area, I mean, that from one bluff to the other, that was the, the floodplain there. So <laughs> it had plenty of room to spread out, and we took that away from it. And so, uh, and, and of course, in, in uh, 93, it actually took that back. So <laughs> I got the last laugh, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. What, with your position, what were you, what was your position at that time? Because you were involved by then, right? Yes, that's right. So I, I'd already been working at the Illinois State Water Survey for uh, several years there, about eight or nine years at that point. And so, yeah, so I was in, in the middle of it, so to speak, <laughs> uh, as far as uh, dealing with it on a daily basis, you know, analyzing rainfall maps and, and tracking the, that kind of stuff. And, you know, that back in 93, uh, it's hard to believe now, but, you know, the communication of that kind of information was much harder than today. You know, that was before social media. It was before, really, it was before the Internet. I mean, uh, a few people, if you were at a university, had internet, but uh, outside of that, uh, so I remember it was difficult to collect all the rainfall data information and, and then, you know, d distribute that out. And I remember, you know, like we we're faxing maps to newspapers and stuff like that. It was, <laughs> it was pretty uh, low tech by today's standards. But <laughs> I can only imagine, I, I mean, I was a little younger at that time, but you know, if I want to look at what the river stages are now for the next week, I could just go to the national weather services website and take a look at what the forecasted stages <laughs> are. Right, yeah. I, yeah. I don't think that was as easy to do in 93. <laughs> That's right. And, and, you know, we got these things and, yeah. and that, uh, yeah, I can pull that up right now for a hand exactly uh and yeah so the, it's it's a different world back then and and i think they struggled with that because you know the information flow was was slow and and you're always kind of behind so you know if you were talking about flooding or well, maybe that already happened by the time you, you cut out <laughs> yeah. the warning for it all right, Travis. So to wrap things up here real quick, uh, what I could tell you from some details, I looked up some some details about this, about if it could happen again. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers estimates that the 93 flood was a 350-year flood. The chances of it happening on a statistical level are about 0.3%. There is an interesting uh, 
article. Hopefully, we'll post this somewhere for you guys. Uh, a, a, a professor from the university, or sorry, from uh, Washington University, he believes that it's more like a 50-year flood. There's some models that would suggest this is a crazy number to wrap things up and put your head around. According to this uh, model that kind of kind of takes floods and, and determines how bad it will be and d- does different statistics for it. According to this AIR model, a reoccurrence of the 93 event based on today's exposure would result in insurable losses of more than $43 billion. Hmm. The worst affected state by far will be Missouri with nearly $19 billion in insurable losses, followed by Iowa, Kansas, and Illinois. So if you ever have a situation like this, and, and just take it like this, I'm sure most of you guys, if you're from the Quincy area or from this neck of the woods, you've been to St. Louis, you've been to the Chesterfield Valley. The Chesterfield Valley in 93 was farmland. And now go down yeah. there and there's thousands of businesses in that in that, in that that uh, floodplain now. Yeah, it's scary to think what if. Yeah. Um, Boy, yeah. let's, let's hope it doesn't come to that, but statistics don't sound like they're on our side. No, and and like you just heard me talk with Jim about is that, you know, we, we talked about, you know, 100 years ago, you used to be able to, that the floodplains would, would work their way out and the floods waters could just easily work it out. Well, now we've created all these levees and now, now the only place that water can go is up. So. so if the volcanoes and the tornadoes don't get us, <laughs> as we've talked about in the past, man, uh, hopefully the, the floods won't do it either. I feel like there's a shirt somewhere in this. There's a shirt <laughs> idea somewhere in all this. Uh, uh, Wild Quincy making your nightmares a, th- a reality for two years. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, well, anyway, um, Travis, uh, there's a lot to digest here. Uh, any other thoughts before uh, we get wrapped up? You know, talking all the doom and gloom again, I think it's worth reiterating that when, when the going got tough, you know, the tough guy going from a community standpoint and just the, the level of effort and humanity that was shown in, in trying in the sandbagging efforts, the volunteers supporting that, all the Red Cross organizations that came together and helped in aid in that sandbagging effort here in Quincy. You know, it brings out the worst times bring out the best in people. And, you know, enough can't be said about how the community pulled together. And that was really made me feel good, Chris, you know, to see that. Because, you know, in the world today, there's so much, there's so much, you know, banter and just you know social media has brought out the worst in people it seems right. like sometimes and to see a place where the best was brought out I, it, it gives me hope that that still within people's hearts that you know we could we could do that again if if the worst came to worse and i hope we could because uh the, the idea that there's something bigger than us and that we can all pull together for to help the common good you know i, I hope that's not a you know, you know sentiment that's been lost to the ages for sure. Yeah. Uh, Quincy, as we know, has always been one of those in, in the whole area. Really, you get to in the Midwest in general and, and um, helping others is at the forefront for, for most people when it comes to disasters such as these. And I, I'm sure it's no different with the next event that's going to happen, that there's going to be those people out there to support uh, each other and make sure that we can get through uh, any of these events that happen here in our uh, wild Quincy area, for sure. Hey, before we wrap things up, Travis, uh, of course, we heard from Rich and want to thank uh, thank all those guys. But uh, we were able to touch base with a uh, another former weatherman that uh, 
was from the Quincy area, and we talked about WGM a lot in the uh, episode here. But uh, it's been a while since we heard from him, and so uh, we were. He's been to- on the YouTube every now and again. He <laughs> yeah. had a, a couple, a couple kind of viral instances on YouTube. Yeah, a couple, a couple worst case scenarios for some temperatures in Phoenix, Arizona, for sure. <laughs> but Chris was able to uh, chat with this individual, and uh, what happened there, Chris? Well, we were able to touch base with none other than former WGEM weatherman Corey McCloskey, and uh, he wanted to give his thoughts. So as we go out, uh, we uh, find out what his thoughts were from the flood of 93. But uh, this has been a look at one of the most historic events to ever happen in the Quincy area, and that is the flood of 93. We'll be back with more after this on Wild Quincy. What I remember, I think, most is how so many people came together under one umbrella, one radio station, and were able to be coordinated and sent out all over uh, the thousands of square miles that needed to be cared for during that uh, terrible summer. But I think about uh, the people who really were in the trenches on the radio side, uh, Bob Turek, Rich Kane, Jeff Dorsey, Mike Moyers, Reggie Coleman, John Tripp, John Van Ness. I know I'm probably missing uh, some folks, but to be on the air hour after hour with no commercial breaks and really being able to coordinate all of the efforts that went into uh, helping people who really needed the help uh, that summer. And of course, I think about all of my uh, television friends there at WGEM, especially the reporters and the photographers who were out in the field, uh, Steve Luton, Michelle McCormack, uh, George Eversman and Keith Yaskin. Uh, Let's see, Tony Shaw, of course, that summer, uh, Jim Whitfield and Rick Junkerman. I don't want to forget anybody. I know that I will. Uh, but of course, Shan Hendricks and Les uh, back at the studio as well. Oh, and I want to thank too uh, Brady Dreisler, uh for his hard work that summer. But anyway, uh, my real memories are not so much of being out in the weather. I was just in the studio uh, watching a radar screen bringing the bad news that this thing wasn't over yet. But it, uh, it was... Uh, a summer unlike any I've experienced, and I know uh, for you too, if you were uh, here in the tri-states when it happened. But I'll certainly never forget it, and I'm always grateful uh, to have known all of those folks. I'm certainly, I don't have any pride in anything that I did that summer. I really didn't do much, but I'm proud to know all those folks who uh, worked so hard to keep everybody informed, and uh, also proud to have known and met many of you who were able to fight through uh, one of those, uh, one of the most terrible uh, weather summers that the tri-states have ever seen. But anyway, I miss you all, and hope we cross paths again soon. is something for everybody throughout their mornings, throughout their days. You know, we're, we're the, the human outreach on radio. I don't think you can find that on other radio stations. Anytime we have a conversation, the conversation revolves around, is it going to be good for the community? Is it going to be good for the region? We are Quincy's station. I don't know if there's any other place in the country where you have such a devoted listenership. Travis, uh, we've had a WGM emphasis on this episode, and why not add a, a, a promotion for WGM AM for back in the day? 
you know, you got to hand it to them. They were they were bringing their A game at this time period. No doubt yeah. about it. Yeah, definitely some. And not only were they bringing their A game, but they had an A game team there. Of course, Rich and Bob Turek. Boy, it was great there. to hear Bob Turek again. Yeah, that voice is like butter. I mean, my God, it was I, the voice of my childhood radio. Was I think it was it had a lot to do with Bob Turek. It was that was. What a legend. I want to say that the other voice of Rich Kane's was squeaky, but I don't think you could ever say <laughs> no. that Rich Kane had a squeaky voice. <laughs> He's always He's been baritone for a long uh, time. I'm golden, sure. <laughs> golden. I mean, he has a running for the golden pipes. I'm, I'm going to yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Maybe we should just get Rich on here sometime and just give us a bunch of lines like, you only need the edge and all that stuff, you know? Uh, yeah i like so, it if you're listening rich line it up for us buddy give us all the cliches yeah <laughs> that's right just give us all the generic stuff we'll we'll use it <laughs> don't worry it was one of the first stations i cut my teeth at too that my first radio job was wgm fm am i was in the radio department doing cardinals games just hitting a button and then uh you guys are aware of this i one night just said you know what i'm gonna talk on the radio <laughs> so i turned the <laughs> mic on and started talking and now here i am 20 some years later talking to you on a podcast um but you know, it, it's, it was a, a great memory. Uh, WGM AM was always an amazing station. Uh, unfortunately, it's gone through this kind of transition over the years, and uh, you know, been various things, and never really found its uh, never really found its calling after the the '90s. So, uh, unfortunate to see, but uh, definitely some good memories to look back on for the powerhouse uh, AM 1440. WGM AM signed on January 1st of 1948. Uh, it says here that it was hampered because of an ice storm that forced the station off the air just 20 minutes after it's into its first broadcast. Wow. False, <laughs> false start. False start. Yeah. Nobody was listening. Don't worry. <laughs> they, the 15 people that had their radio uh, weren't listening. So nobody caught that, that false start. So, uh, but yeah, uh, good good stuff. All right. Well, speaking of uh, golden pipes, uh, we got another set. And now it's time for words of wisdom from Adams County. It's time for the folklore, the history, the amazing information from our forefathers and foremothers, and that would be the folklore of Adams County. Travis, you ready for this? I'm always ready for a walk down the folklore alley. What do we have? Chad got in my head. I'm going to go ahead and point this out. If you listen to our last episode. You did episode, a number on Chris, Chad. We talked about this off the air. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's gotten to my head. So now um, I, I, I'm trying to bring it, but I'm like, every time I'm just going to disappoint Chad. You know what, Chad? This um, isn't for you. You know, this isn't for you, Chad. <laughs> we, can't, we can't do everything just for you, Chad. I am so going to get a text. Um, all right. So so let's look at some of these. I, I wanted to go down a flood aspect, Travis, because we're talking about the flood of 93, right? So I have a search feature because I have the PDF version now. So I just put in flood. Guess how many results I got back? Uh, two? One. one. <laughs> so let me give you the one flood one. All right. It's a 276. It's in the weather department if a flock of wild geese flying westward does not turn southward or northward when it reaches a town there will be a great flood in that town within a day or two so there you go okay yeah okay it is what it is that was great chris i enjoyed that (laughs) 
Well, not, <laughs> we got more. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna end on that one. Uh, so I got to looking up rivers and creeks and stuff like that, and then I even got desperate and went to fishing. Uh, so let me give you a river one because this one's kind of cool. Uh, this one is about is in the spirits and ghost okay, section. Okay, I like that. Ten thousand five hundred and twenty-nine. The first dike up the river on the Illinois side once a month, a moonlight night. A man will come from the bank and walk to the end of the dike, then disappear into the water. I have seen this myself several times, but could not find out what it was or why he did it. Dude, is that the freaking levee walker? Oh my gosh, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> it could be. Is it's that the, the Illinois first side? account of a levee walker? Holy crap. Put a pin in that I one. I got it. Oh wow. my gosh. Did I just stumble upon Breaking the first news. account? You might have just did that, Chris. Holy cow. Maybe I should just run the music right now. Oof. Oof. Uh, wow, yeah, let's look into that. I think there might be something there. All right, last one here. Uh, this is in the fishing department. Uh, 6,757. Give your sweetheart's name to a worm while fishing and then bait your hook with it. If you catch a fish with that worm, he is true to you. Words of wisdom from Adams County. <laughs> I don't. I can't think of a spouse who wouldn't want to be named after a worm. You know, a worm that and gets a spouse de- should not be in the same sentence. Probably a worm that gets devoured by a fish. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's figure that one out. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe we have one last piece of the puzzle to do, and that would be our question of the day. Yeah, bring it on. What do we got? All right, so there was a drive-in. There's still some remnants of it, I think, in West Quincy even to this day. But uh, the question is this. What was the drive-in called in West Quincy? Was it called the Clark Drive-In, the Jim City Drive-In, the Quincy Drive-In, or the Sky High Drive-In? Travis, you got some thoughts on this, maybe? Uh, I'm going to try process of elimination here. Okay. I think Clark was actually – Clark. I think that's the one that's down in Clarksville or was down okay. in Clarksville. Or maybe it's still around somewhere. Gem City, man, I don't know. Maybe I don't think so though. Okay. And it was Quincy, and then what was the last one? Sky, Sky High Drive-In. Sky High. Boy, I see. I'm curious on that one with the whole sky ride and the whole sky stuff down there. Mm-hmm. Just talking and looking at your face for some kind of. <laughs> I'm gonna clue, hide behind my mic. <laughs> some kind of tell here. <laughs> I'm stuck no tell in this department. Why would you call it Quincy if it's on that side? Because mm-hmm. it's always been West Quincy. It would be the West Quincy drive-in. I'm going to go with the, what was the last one in Sky High? Sky High drive-in. I don't know. I have no confidence, so I'm going with Sky High drive-in. Well, Travis, you would also be wrong. Ah, I figured. <laughs> what was it, though? It was actually the Quincy Drive-In. Okay, well, you know. However, to your doubt, to the benefit of your doubt, uh, it, some people did refer to it as the West Quincy Drive-In. Mm, see, that would have been more appropriate, in my opinion. But. It opened in September of 1949. It had a capacity of 500 cars. A second screen was added in 1972 that increased the capacity to 700 cars. Unfortunately, just a few years later, 1976, the uh, drive-in theater officially closed. Hey, can we can we just give props real fast to whoever built that godforsaken screen? That's <laughs> it's still been up how many hanging years? on. It's <laughs> true. I mean, talk about a. Uh, just a sentinel, silent sentinel standing proudly 
between flood and everything else, it's still hanging on over there. Yeah. We're talking 35 mile an hour currents in that flood water. <laughs> and that thing is standing proud. Barges, barges literally who, driving by it. Who built that thing? <laughs> and is the, the Jesus our Lord Savior still on there? I think so. Props whoever to, painted props that. to whoever, well, the paint they used on that. I mean... <laughs> That's incredible. This might be like some some gold star. Some a who built the thing that's still standing and who yeah. the paint quality of that. Kudos. Some, Kudos. some whole, holy paint. It, uh, you know that, yeah. that might be. I mean, that might be some kind of. Mar- <laughs> I think the Vatican, while they're down here checking out Father Tolton, they might want to wander Watch. across the river and look at that. I'm just saying. Go I'm just Quincy. saying. All right. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, real quick, while we're here, uh, I do want to bring up the others. Clark Drive in Theater, you're right. Uh, okay. It's down down south, but it's in Pike County, Illinois. That's Summer Hill. Unfortunately, it's closed. I think it's still for sale if anybody wants to buy it. Okay. Uh, the Jim City Drive-In was the one that was at 36th Street, uh, which is kind of neat. Uh, I came across some aerial pictures. Maybe we'll post some. I don't have much of, of a, any knowledge of that, so I want to learn more about that. 36th and State area, I believe, is where that's at. So, Interesting. Yeah. I love to hear people's story about that. I love to hear a story. And then the too. one that you chose, the Sky High Drive-In, you were close. Uh, it was actually Hannibal's Drive-In. Oh, any idea where that was at in Hannibal? No, I don't have an ID on that mm. one. So, Boy, have you yeah, ever, have you ever you know. been to a, to a drive-in theater? I have not. Have I you? haven't either. No. I think there's still one up in Springfield area. We should do that. Patreon. Patreon trip. <laughs> We've got to get a date on that thing. <laughs> we'll talk about that in the Patreon episode, everyone. Yeah, yeah. we'll take care of that. Uh, so, yeah, there's your question today. Of course, we we always we kind of already told you about that. We kind of went on a, a whim. But, of course, the next episode is a crime episode. We will be uh, uh, kind of continuing our uh, Flood of 93 discussion and talking about uh, the person who was pretty much to blame for part of the Flood of 93, and that's James Scott. So we'll dig into the details of that. Hopefully have a guest on uh, to uh, help us navigate uh, Ooh, that was an unfortunate pun. Uh, the uh, the the pathway to um, to what all happened in '93 with that stuff. Travis, uh, before we wrap up, uh, we have to thank some people, right? Uh, give us thanks out to Jim Angel again for stopping by. Also, Rich Kane and Corey McCloskey for throwing in uh, their pieces. Hopefully, uh, we mentioned to both Rich and Corey that uh, we'd love to have them on again. So, hey, hopefully if you, we'll be if you guys want to have a little fun, the, vi- the what you heard from Corey, we actually got the whole video of it. And go check out the Facebook pages, the YouTube page. It's fun to see Corey again. It got it bring brought back so many great memories of you know his weather days here in the tri-states um really appreciate him pitching in on that yeah absolutely we've been trying to figure out something to have him come on for we've been talking to him for a while about it and glad that we can finally get him on hopefully maybe we can get him in on the people episode That'd somewhere down the road That'd be so fun. yeah we'll uh, hopefully be looking for that but travis before we wrap this episode up are we missing anything well speaking of people all you beautiful people with either the earbuds in your ear right now or we're driving to work or Lord knows what you're doing. Whatever you're doing, stop for a minute if you can, and without compromising public safety, <laughs> and give us your wild files. I'm I'm begging you guys. I'm I'm sitting here. I'm literally almost on my knees with my hands in a prayer form, just you know at the base of the, <laughs> the West Quincy <laughs> side here. Um, just asking you guys, forgive me the weird, the stories of the weird, the wild, wonderful. We just got another listener wild file in the email at wildquincy at gmail.com about a ghost story. So. 
if you have a ghost story, if you have just something creepy that's happened to you, maybe you saw Bigfoot taking out the trash, or you were taking out the trash, maybe he was taking out the trash. If it's weird, wild, wild or wonderful, we want to hear about it. That's going to help us give you some more episodes in the off season. You can let us uh, let us know on the listener line six one two six 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 nine four five three. Or again, yeah, that's 612-666-WILD. He says he always mouths wild whenever I say that. So I feel like I have to say it again. We, we took forever to find that number. Yeah. We got to use it. I know, I know. 666-WILD. <laughs> All right. WildQuincy gmail.com also do it to you. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Yeah, we appreciate it. And uh, we'll be back with another episode of Wild Quincy. One, one, one more thing. I, uh, well, yeah. uh, you know you're on the edge there. But but oh. one of our one of our favorite listeners, Amanda, uh, was oh, yes. was kind enough. She was giving a presentation recently at the, I believe it was a pre- uh, preservation commission. Uh, they had a dinner at, at one. And she was so nice to to give us credit. They were talking oh. about the, the building there at one, the old theater, and the tornado episode we did, which talked about the path of the tornado and how it affected that building itself. She expressed her love of Wild Quincy to a room full of people, and we wow. really appreciate that word of mouth support. That means so much to us and her continued support and listenership. And now I'll hand it over to you, Chris, to send us off into the sunset. Well, yeah. Thanks to Amanda for that. I saw the I saw the picture, but I did not uh, knew that we got some love in front of a group full of people. So appreciate that, and we always appreciate anybody that uh, lets uh, other people know about what we have here and getting the history of our favorite town out to the masses. So uh, we appreciate that. For uh, Travis Hoffman, I'm Chris Ketters. You've been listening to Wild Quincy. We'll catch you guys next time. Take care, everybody. Wild Quincy is released every other Tuesday and is produced by Chris Ketters and Travis Hoffman. Sound designed by Downdraft Sound and Editing and music by Travis Hoffman Music. I'm Bo Beecraft, and thanks for listening to Wild Quincy. Wild Quincy.